you turn to Genesis chapter 18, while you're doing that, I want to thank you for joining us here on Sunday nights. Looking forward to a, our second installment of Ask the Pastor tonight. Before we do that, as we want to always give attention to the Word of the Lord. You know, without the Word of God, we are truly lost. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Without the Word of God, we wouldn't even know the grace of God. We, God could speak it to us if he... Uh, so chose to do by his Holy Spirit without the word, but he's chosen the word to reinforce his plan and chosen the word to be the sustenance that we gain our spiritual understanding, our knowledge from, and it's the word that transforms lives. And so we always want to give attention. And tonight we'll cover Genesis chapter 18 and a study that I've entitled Abraham, the friend of God. As you think about this title, this title is given only to Abraham. It's given to no one else in the entirety of Scripture. It is said about Abraham that he had a special relationship with God, and we've already seen the beginnings of that. Tonight we have that reinforced, and it'll especially be reinforced in light of what we'll learn next week about Lot, who is a friend of the world. So you have two friendships. Tonight the first one Abraham, who is a friend of God. And and as you look at the words that are written here in Genesis chapter 18, though it is absolutely stunning in the magnitude of God saying, look, enough's enough, Uh, and we begin this march, and it'll continue all the way through chapter 19, where God is going to level an accusation against a city, against a group of people, and he will actually destroy them, he is absolutely offering grace to anyone who will receive it. And so you see the balance tonight between the justice of God, the impending wrath of God. Look, the book of Romans is very clear. The wrath of God is going to fall upon the ungodly eventually. The good news is it doesn't have to fall on you. If you're here tonight and you've yet to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you can escape that part by simply becoming one of God's children by believing in his name and being saved. God doesn't want anyone to ever face him in wrath. He wants us to face him in grace through the finished work of Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross. And so tonight we get a glimpse of the seriousness with which God takes sin. And so as we dig in, would you pray with me? And we're going to take a large portion of Scripture tonight uh, and condense it down to a synopsis of this chapter. And uh, pray that the Lord be able to minister to us as we do that. Father, we thank you that you desire all men to be saved. That is your desire. You've made it possible through grace, by faith, And so, Lord, we pray as we read these words and we see uh, exactly how long-suffering you are and how you are willing, Lord, to, to do what is necessary to wait. We also recognize that you don't wait forever. And so, God, as we study your word, strengthen us as we hear it. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 1, Genesis 18, And then the Lord appeared to him by the terebinth trees of Mamre, Mamre is a small city. It's in the general vicinity of modern-day Hebron. 
Uh, it's about 35 miles south or so of modern-day Jerusalem. But it was at that point in time uh, a herding community. It wasn't what you'd really call a city. It was more of a, a town or a settlement. And on the outskirts of that town is the place that Abraham now has his tent and his altar. And as he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day, so he lifted up his eyes, and behold, three men were standing by him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the ground and said, My Lord. Now remember, Abraham is the father of monotheism. He's considered so by both Jews and Arabs, as well as Christians. And so here, here is the statement that he is bowing to his Lord. And so we know, beyond any shadow of doubt, uh, that the one that he's bowing to is a pre-incarnate visitation uh, by none other than the Lord himself. And of course, there is one who is called Lord, and that is the Lord Jesus. So this is a Christophany, an appearance in the Old Testament uh, before his birth here on earth as Emmanuel, God with us, he existed before in heaven and made a few appearances in the Old Testament to the Old Testament saints, and this is one of them. But there are two men with him. And he said, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass on by your servant. Please let a little water be brought, and I'll wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will bring you a morsel of bread that you might refresh your hearts. And after you pass by and as much as you have come to your servant, and they said, do as you have said. And so Abraham expressing what is to this day the hospitality that would be expected uh, in the Near East, in the cultures, both the Arab and Jewish cultures, uh, highly regard uh, hospitality. And of course, Abraham is quite hospitable and so Abraham hurried to the tent and to, to Sarah and said, Quickly, make ready three measures of fine meal and knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a tender and good calf and, and gave it to a young man and he hastened to prepare it. And he took butter and milk and the calf which he had prepared and set them before them. And he stood by them under a tree as they ate. And then they said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And so he said, here in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And so obviously whoever this is has a direct line to God because God's the one that made the covenant that Sarah would bear a son. And so here's a direct word a confirming that which was already promised to them. And Sarah was listening by the tent door, which was behind him. And now Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. And therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I have grown old, shall I have pleasure in my Lord being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh? saying, Surely I shall bear a child since I am old. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Underline it. Mark it. 
save it for a later date when you're facing your Sarah moment, your Abraham moment, your, your moment when you face something. Maybe you're facing cancer. Maybe you're facing a prodigal son or a daughter. Maybe you're facing a moment in your marriage when you think there's just no way this can possibly be worked out. Maybe you're waiting in singleness for your spouse, the one that God would call to you. Maybe you're waiting for a child just like Abraham and Sarah. And the word of the Lord is to you as it was to them. Is anything too hard for the Lord? You got to understand it. You have to get it. This is the crux of this chapter. This is the Lord himself saying, in essence, there's nothing too hard for me. If I promised it, I will do it. At the appointed time, I'll return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Notice the the specificity with which the Lord speaks. No more, it's going to happen at the appointed time, you're going to have a son. In other words, he's saying, you're you're already going to have that son. Know it, believe it. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, no, but you did laugh. Can I give you a little secret about dealing with God? He doesn't miss much. He, he doesn't miss much. He doesn't miss anything, as a matter of fact. He's not saying, wow, what was that you did? What was that you said? Where was that that you were? What did you do? He's, you're not fooling him. All of your scheming and working around the details of life, God knows exactly what you said. God knows exactly what you did. God knows exactly where you went. He knows exactly everything. And I love the grace with which God deals with, with Sarah in this place. You know, you'd almost think that God says, well, you know, if that's all the faith you got, forget it. And there are some in this world that might even say, well, because of your lack of faith, then I'm taking away the promise. But no. Then the men arose from there and looked towards Saddam. And Abraham went with them to send them on the way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? You see, the Lord had come on a mission. There was another thing that hadn't missed his eyes. There was another problem. There was something he had actually come to to solve, to do. And it was a difficult one. Since Abraham shall surely become great in a mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. So again, the promise is reiterated. Abraham, you're going to be the father of a multitude. The whole world is going to be blessed because of you. I I really, this is not on you, this is on me. God's taking up a, a righteous cause here. For I have known him in order that he may command his children, his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord and do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring Abraham what he has spoken to him to do righteousness and justice you know we live in a world that doesn't care much about God's righteousness and does not fear his justice 
is not concerned that the Bible still declares, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, and I will repay. Now, while it's true that grace reigns in our day because we're in the age of grace, we're in the time of grace, where anyone who wants to be saved can be saved, but make no mistake, God is no less righteous today than he was in the day of Sodom and Gomorrah. He is still the same God. And he still has the same disdain for sin. He still hates it. And while he deals with us graciously and kindly and gently and most importantly long-suffering, it's not getting past his eyes. He sees every injustice. He, he knows the name of every single person who has ever been on this planet. He knows everything that's ever happened to you. He knows those who are not his and he knows those who are his. And God is righteous and he is just and he will never ever be anything other than righteous and just. So don't mistake his long-suffering for a lack of righteousness or that he is approving of sin. And where this applies in our own lives is the days when we might be tempted to say, well, the Lord hasn't done anything about it yet, so he must be okay with it. Because you're about to see the severity of God in dealing with sin. God alone knows when you have crossed the line. God alone knows when mankind has crossed the line. And God has an appointed time when he is going to begin that day that we call the great day, the terrible day, the day of his wrath. Praise the Lord, it hasn't come yet. But know this, it will. So be careful, because we're recipients of such grace in our day and time that I think many of us are tempted to believe that God is less than holy, and he absolutely is not. And the Lord said, because of the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave, And this sets the stage for what we'll see next time. But I want you to begin to notice that that this is not a bunch of people who are inhospitable. This is not that Sodom, which is in the southern part of the region of the Dead Sea. There are those that believe that it's been found. The whole region of the southern Dead Sea is, is filled with both asphalt pits and geologic features that makes one believe that it's highly likely that it was there in the area that is still to this day called Sodom. But make no mistake, they weren't just kind of sort of messing up a little bit. There was a wickedness that was within the entire population of those twin cities, Sodom and Gomorrah. It was great. And I will go down now and see whether what they have done altogether, according to the outcry against it that has come to me. 
This is the active prayer life of righteous people crying out to God, reaching the ears of the Lord. And while the Lord cannot learn anything, nothing is new under the sun to him. He is the one who answers prayer. And so there were righteous people that were praying, God, do you see this? Can I ask you a question? Are you praying, God, do you see this? You see, because God surely does see it, but he waits for us to ask him to act. And while he will always act appropriately, God is waiting for us to be upset about sin. God is waiting for us to say, God, do you, do you see what's going on? Are you praying for God's righteousness? Because you should be. Because injustice is not okay with God. Sinful behavior is not okay with God. It's destroying lives. And we'll dig into the sin itself in quite a, a bit of detail next week because it's really there that we see in chapter 19 what the sin is. It's come to me, and if not, I'll know. And he's saying these things, of course, for Abraham's understanding. God already knows what he's going to do. He's perfect in all of his ways. And the men turned away from there and went towards Sodom. But Abraham stood still before the Lord. Are you standing still before the Lord, waiting for him to speak? Or are you trying to tell him what to do? There's a difference in your prayer life between asking God and telling God. Be careful that you know the difference between those two things. I myself have been personally responsible for trying to tell God how to run the universe. I know you guys wouldn't do that, but I I have. I've been judge, jury, and executioner. And I've also waited way too long for things that God hates. So make sure that you're in tune with God's will when you're praying. That's why not thy will, or not my will, but rather thy will be done should be the basis of our prayer life. And Abraham came near and said, would you also destroy the the righteous with the wicked? That's a good question, isn't it? Isn't that a good question? That's a question that gets asked a lot still in our day and time. Well, how does God balance out all all the people who know the Lord in all these countries that are habitually forever setting their face against God. It's tough. I've been asked this question. People say, well, what does God do in in predominantly Muslim countries where it's very clear that they do not love the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they certainly don't love Jesus' son because part of the Shahada is that God has no son. Part of the the proclamation of the Muslim faith is that God has no son. He has one messenger and his name is Allah. What does God do? Is God going to destroy the righteous with the wicked? If God can determine who's a sheep and who's a goat and who's the wheat and who's a tare, I think you probably know what the answer is. He always defends the righteous. And so what follows we would expect, because it's the answer, of course, 
that fits the character and the nature of God. Suppose there were 50 righteous within the city. Would you also destroy the place and not spare the 50 righteous that were in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous. You see how Abram's just going off on his little tangent? And I love this because this is the way I would think. This is exactly the, the logic that we would employ. It's like there's got to be some righteous people in that city, and God, are you just going to destroy the city? So that the righteous should be as the wicked? Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of the earth do right? Underline that one too. God doesn't make any mistakes. The answer to that rhetorical question is an absolutely, of course he will do right. Absolutely he won't make a mistake. Not one righteous person is going to perish in this. The problem is, is that Abraham had a messed up understanding of how many righteous were in the city. And so the Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. So he says, I will even relent based on 50 righteous people being in the city. So you see two things happening. Number one, the absolute grace of God and the value of a handful of righteous people that are willing to pray. God says yes. And Abraham answered and said, Indeed, now who am I but dust and ashes? And have taken upon myself, he realizes what he's like, oh no. Um, you, know, you can almost see him raising his hand like he's in class. Can I rephrase my question? Would it be possible to retract my previous statement? Suppose there were less than 50 righteous. Would you destroy all of the city for a lack of five? So he changes and he says, now it's 45. He said, so if I find 45, I will not destroy it. And he spoke to him yet again. Suppose there should be 40 found there. I love this. Because this is exactly what we're prone to do with God every once in a while. You know, you find out he's not going to act on something. It's like, well, you know, can I kind of keep a little bit of the action going here? And, uh, you know, just uh, there's, like, there's 40 of us now. Then he said, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak. I will not do it for the sake of 40. Suppose there be 30 found there. He said, I will not do it if I find 30 there. He said, indeed, now I've taken upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 should be found there. This is, this is one of, I think it's one of the most encouraging passages in the Old Testament. Because this is me. It's like, let's make a deal with God. It's like, okay, well, I was wrong the first time, so let's go 45. How about 40? 30? 20? Lord. And on the other hand, he's being just so open and honest. He's realizing his mistake. He, he's, he's looking at his own life, man, did I mess up? Maybe I started too high. Maybe in my little fleece before the Lord, I should have started with two. If there's two righteous. 
You can kind of see his wheels turning, and I love that God allows us to understand how much he sees us in our humanity. Because probably none of us would have done a not one bit better than what Abraham does here. I'll not destroy it for the sake of 20. And then he said, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak, but once more suppose 10 should be found there. This, this incredible conversation between Abraham and the Lord God. And he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of ten. And so the Lord went his way as soon as he had finished speaking with Abraham. And Abraham returned to his place. We see Abraham in three basic ways here. We see him as a worshiper. We see him as a watchman. And we see him as a witness. And and as you look at Abraham in this particular chapter, you can't help but marvel at how God views even one righteous person. Because there actually are not ten. We're going to find that out very soon. There's not even ten. He's still off. And yet God has given Abraham to do something, a job to do. He's, look, Abraham, you're their only hope. Have you ever thought about yourself as the only hope for your unsaved family? Have you ever looked at your life as someone who supremely and deeply worships the Lord? So much so that maybe you're the one that's holding back the hand of God in judgment. Maybe you're the one. Your prayer life, you're that one righteous person. Maybe the church is that righteous group of people that's holding back. What if your prayer life was directly responsible for the Lord not passing judgment on our nation? You ever thought about it? What if your own personal righteousness was the thing that God was hearing from heaven? Would our country be spared Or would it be burned? I hope it'd be spared. You see, sometimes we almost get so tired of the battle that we stop praying. We stop seeking the Lord for the lost. And Abraham is an amazing worshiper and he is a wonderful watchman. But he's also a faithful witness. First thing we see is Abraham worshiping the Lord. And I want you to just see how he does this. Because it's, it's a picture for us. The servants in the early church understood this. The high priest understood it. The priest that ministered in the temple understood this. All ministry really is to God. When we offer ourselves up to the Lord in praise and worship, that is Godward. When we give, it's to God. When we witness, it's for God. Everything that we do that we call ministry is towards the Lord. We worship God. It's the driving force behind everything in the life of every believer. Lord, I just want to worship you. And so these three strangers, the Lord Jesus and two of his angels are in this scene with us. And they appeared as men. 
We're going to dig into that a little bit in our Ask the Pastor segment. That was a question that was asked last week. But notice how Abraham serves the Lord personally. He's 99 years old. He's a wealthy man. We're, we're gonna, we found out that back in chapter 14, he has 300 servants. But he stops to take this time to personally minister to the Lord. Personally say, hey, I want to prepare you a meal. Personally, I want to wash your feet. Lord, let me minister to you. Do you minister personally to the Lord? Do you have a personal devotional life, a personal prayer time? Are you personally sharing the gospel for the sake of the kingdom? Notice that in this passage, in these first few verses, that he ministers immediately. He's not going, well, if you give me a sign and could you check my calendar, he ministers immediately. He doesn't say, I got other things to do. You know, I'm kind of like, I'm having a siesta right now. Could you come back later? He ministers immediately. And furthermore, not just immediately as in time, but speedily as in do it with a whole heart, with everything that's within you. He's running around accomplishing what God wants for him right now, and he's doing it as well and as quickly as he can. He's not delaying. He's not being hasty. He ran to get the tender calf. He hastened to dress the meat. You you can see him. He's like, he's on it. And what that tells me is that in Abraham's life, God was first. God wasn't second, third. He wasn't some, you know, well, I'll give you a couple of minutes next week. A fourth thing. Abraham served the Lord generously. A calf was a big deal. These guys were strangers, and of course he now recognizes this is the Lord. But he says, I'm pulling out the best stuff. When your average desert Bedouin nomads came wandering by, you didn't slaughter a calf. You didn't pull out the butter. You didn't pull out the milk. You didn't pull out the finest things. You may have given them a little bit of bread, and maybe you would have taken the time to wash their feet or had a servant do it. But Abraham says, no, I want to give you the best. He was generous towards the Lord. Abraham's service was marked by humility. He called himself the servant. He himself stood by and waited on them. That's humility. And then the final thing that I see here is he served the Lord cooperatively. He he got involved. Sarah baked the bread. The young man dressed the meat. Other servants. He was a witness to what he wanted them to do. You know, this thing called ministry is a team effort. And we need to treat it that way. Abraham was also the watchman. And because he was faithful to the Lord, uh, he becomes a channel of blessing to his family. And I want you to see this to Sarah. Sarah had an unbelievably important role to play in the history of redemption. Direct line to Jesus. She's now 89 years old. But Abraham was still treating her like the princess she was. 
saying, honey, this is, this is still going to happen. And so the answer to that question is anything too hard for the Lord because of how Abraham lived, how he led his family, Sarah could actually say, no. And that wasn't always true in Abraham's life, right? He'd kind of have a few little detours in his life. But now it became so prevalent in his life that his family was being led and he was being a watchman in his own home. They were living out what Paul would write to the church at Ephesus in chapter 3. And now unto him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think. That's the God that Abraham believed in. No, nothing's too hard for you, Lord. And my family knows nothing's too hard. Does your family know that nothing's too hard for God? You see, if you're not living a nothing's too hard for God life, then your family might question whether anything's too hard for God. Be a watchman. Watch over your own family. Watch over your own children. Be careful what you share with your kids. If you're a parent and you're here tonight, be careful what your children hear coming forth from your lips with regard to God's faithfulness. Because he is faithful. Don't put your insecurities on God. You remind them frequently and often, our God shall supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Amen? Be a watchman over your family. And the third thing, and this was the hard part, Abraham was willing to be a witness to a very, very, very lost world. And this part touches you, it touches me, it touches us. You see, because of this lost world, Abraham knew the very thing again that the Apostle Paul would write in Romans chapter 8, who is he condemns? Who condemns? It's not the Lord who condemns. Christ is making intercession. God wants to do good things. He wants to bless. But we got a witness to the world that that's what God wants to do. And he wants to do it when, when we have turned our, our away from our evil. That's why your Bible says there in Second Chronicles, if my people who are called by my name will turn from their wickedness and pray, then I'll heal their land. It doesn't say you get to keep the sin and have his grace too. You've got to give up the sin. That's Abraham being able to say, look, I, I've, I've been faithful to witness to the people of Sodom. I told them the truth. Can I tell you as a pastor, it's not easy to tell people the truth sometimes. Because that's not what they want to hear. And sometimes I hear about them not wanting to hear. That's okay, because that's what I've been called to do. But an intercessor is we need to be. This is Amos 3, 7 says, Surely the Lord does nothing unless he's revealed it to his people. 
God, God doesn't blindside anybody. If somebody perishes, they won't be off on their journey towards eternal darkness and be going, I never had any idea God was righteous. That will not happen. Because if that could happen, then God is not just. He's not fair. That means he punished somebody who did not know, and it won't happen. How he does that by the work of the Spirit, we're not always privy to, but he reveals his truth to all men. Part of that, he does that in the way that we have been actually made by him so that we would understand these things. But Abraham was burdened for Saddam. He was burdened for his nephew Lot. And so he knows the answer to his own. Shall not the Lord of heaven and earth do right? Yes, he will. He's holy and he's just. As we're going to see next time, Abraham had to confront the sin of Saddam. And those practices which are very clear. And we'll delve into those next Sunday night. But Abraham's had to say, no, that's not okay with God. We'll see that they weren't even ashamed of it. One of the most dangerous places to be for any human being is when you're not ashamed of your sin. When it no longer bothers you. When you've lost an understanding that it's not okay with God. And God doesn't want us to be that way. But they wouldn't repent. But Abraham didn't change the message because they wouldn't repent. Can I tell you, you're faced with that right now in our day and time. The world is trying to tell you you need to change the message because people won't repent. You need to have a different opinion because people won't repent. You need to stop saying that sin is sin because people won't repent. That's the world we live in. That's what you're faced with. Don't give up your witness. We may be the last hope. We may be the only ones that are still praying, God, if there's two righteous, spare the city, spare the country, spare our nation. Make sure that you don't give up, family. It's hard. That unrepentant sin, one day God is going to absolutely judge. And so from this passage, make sure that you, like Abraham, are worshiping the Lord. That you, like Abraham, are a watchman, especially in your own home. And that you, like Abraham, are witnessing to the lost. Telling them about the righteous God, who one day, absolutely, is going to do what he said he's going to do, and he is going to judge all unrighteousness. And you don't want your friends caught up in it. Father, thank you for this time in your word, and we pray as we spend some time now just as family that you would bless us with your presence as we answer some questions, Lord, things that are important on people's hearts. Thank you, God, for speaking into our lives, and we agree 
that nothing is too hard for you. In Jesus' name, amen.